0: Hello there. Well, like you, um, I guess I've been watching a lot of rugby lately and uh, delighted with what I saw. And it got me thinking about the interview I did um, a good while ago uh, with Ronan O'Gara, Raj, on one of the very first episodes of this podcast series. Right in the middle of the podcast when I was recording it with Ronan, there was this brilliant moment. You could call it a pitch invasion of sorts, Uh, you might say. Well, here's a clip of what went on.
1: We're going to have a little parade. Hold on. Come around this way quick. Have a look, Mario. Hi Mario How's it going? Quick
0: Mac Do a funny voice please Do you want me to do your dad? (laughs) Yes please (laughs) Hi this is Ronan O'Gara I'm absolutely over the moon to be talking to you today Do you want to do a little parade? Do you want to do a little parade do you? Come here Come here to me Jess get me dinner ready will you? Jess Where's me dinner? Where's me dinner? How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Hi Mario And that was a lovely, unexpected moment um, that was, I could not foresee happening and uh, really enjoyed it. So jump right back to episode two of the Mario Rosenstock podcast, uh, right at the beginning, just after the first one with Ian Dempsey, um, to listen back to hear the rest of the pitch invasion, but also the very personal and revealing interview that Ronan O'Gara, Raj, uh, the human being, uh, gave to me. Uh, rather than the sportsman or the coach. But don't do that until you listen to another very personal and revealing interview with my guest on this episode. Fintan O'Toole needs very little introduction, um, but I suppose he's one of Ireland's best-known, intelligent, articulate, and even at times divisive writers. You may be very familiar with his columns in the Irish Times, his books and his many appearances on radio and TV shows. But what do you know about the man himself? Fintan has so much to say about so many of the issues of our time that we rarely hear him say anything at all about himself. Why he writes the kind of articles he writes. Why he holds the opinions he does. What was he like growing up as a kid in Crumlin and so on and so forth. That is exactly the kind of territory I veer into um, with this fascinating interview with Fintan O'Toole on this episode. And I think you're really going to see a side to this man that you may not be familiar with.
1: I developed a very bad stammer and that does funny things to you. You know, it, I mean, you talked about how I'm comfortable in front of a camera and all you know, that. But Jesus, the nightmare of having to hear your own voice or having to speak in public, you know, read stuff out in class or all of that. If I don't care about something, if it doesn't make me feel something, I, I can't write about it. Or, I, you know, I just I don't have the interest. I don't I'm not interested in things in that really fully abstract sense. You know, what got me writing stuff was very much anger, (laughs) really, you know. A significant number of kids that I would have known and that my younger brothers would have known ended up on heroin or ended up, you know, in prison or, you know, ended up with car crashes of lives. It was really painful as a kid, you know. I often wonder now, would I, would I have changed it, you know. And this sounds, I don't mean like it's a really good idea to torture kids and make them do stuff and develop Alzheimer's. I don't mean that at all. But it was so much part of my personality and part of the way my own kind of mind worked and developed that I, I find it hard to imagine myself without that.
0: So Fintan and I got into such a deep uh, conversation and strayed into so many areas that I've decided for the first time in the podcast um, series to break the interview into two parts. Part one is today. Part two will be released next Thursday, uh, uh, the next episode. So I'll also be giving away the chance to win a very fancy 58-inch TV. This competition has been going really well, all thanks to Curry's. I'll be doing that in a couple of moments. But first, we're taking a quick commercial break because uh, it's for a new toy store actually which is opened just in time for Christmas you might find their new range of toys quite interesting uh, and reflect if you like the times we're living in looking for toys this Christmas but don't want to offend anyone well come on down to Right On Toys we have toys and yes they're all right on at Right On Toys see our new range of toy soldiers including Mindfulness G.I. Joe colonial and imperial oppression is a thing of the past for this GI who practices mindfulness in a safe space replacing mortar bombs with mental health awareness Think Prezi without a bazooka And now, enjoy all the fun with new LGBTQ GI Joe Say hello to the gender fluid killing machine answering to whatever pronoun you desire And this Christmas, Ride On Toys just loves dolls like this hashtag me Ken doll that's right it's all about to come out in the wash for this anachronistic patriarchal figure figure and look the hashtag me Ken doll comes with his own little jail cell where he can spend the rest of his inanimate plastic existence regretting every misdemeanor but that's not all ride on toys has this year's most sought after board game Cancellation! Roll the dice, and that's right, you're cancelled! Where, how, when, you'll never know with cancellation. So this Christmas, make it right on toys! Terms and conditions apply. All toys sourced from China. Proud sponsors of right on toys. Proud sponsors of right on principles. Proud sponsors of right on ethical fair trade practices. (laughs) And I enjoyed making that one. Um, and please be kind to me. Uh, if you were listening to last week's episode or have been keeping an eye on my social channels, you'll be aware uh, that we have a 58 inch Samsung Smart 4K Ultra HD TV, right? That is a beautiful TV to give away to one lucky listener. Check out the show notes down below for this episode um, or the video on my Twitter, which I'll repost, or on Insta if you go to Maria Rosenstock Official on Insta for more details of this great prize. And how to win it. It is to celebrate Curry's Black Tag Sale, which is now on. There are some serious, serious, serious mega deals to be had, and as expected, word is spreading fast. Welcome back. We're joined as usual by Jamie. It's no problem, mate. Uh, Mika. <laughs> And of course, Roy Keane. How's <laughs> it going? Yeah. Guys, is Harry Maguire offside here? Jamie. You know, it's so close, it's almost impossible to tell here. <laughs> I can't see. I just can't. Roy, it is difficult to make out what is happening. I can't see at the end of the day because we don't have proper screens. Sorry, I'm not quite with you, what Roy. You? I mean what... I'm sick of this nonsense every week. Can't see this, can't see that. If we had proper screens, we could see. Yeah, but Roy, what are you suggesting? I Why mean... aren't you in Curry's? Why aren't we down at Curry? Curry's? Curry's black tag sale. What, what? Quality TVs, great screens, unbelievable prices. I mean, nobody beats these lads for prices at the end of the day. Nobody, nobody. So, so what are we talking about, Roy? What I am mean? I talking about? What am I talking about? Sure, it's all here in front of me. JVCs, Panasonics, Sony Bravias, 58-inch, 65-inch, 75-inch. And these TVs are all smart, unlike Harry Maguire. They're flying out of Curry's. Up to thirteen hundred euro off large screen TVs. At the end of the day, it's a no-brainer. Honestly, I don't know why ye lads are not racing down to Curries right now. Hello, lads. Hello. The Black Tag Sale. Top of the range TVs. Unbelievable prices. Off credit to Currys. <laughs> So get yourself down to Corey's at the end of the day Sorry I slipped into his voice there Check out show notes to enter draw for this massive TV We've been flooded with entries We have loads of entries But we're going to pick a winner at the end of November Drop me a line, quickly So anyway, I promised you an up-close and personal interview With one of Ireland's greatest writers, Fintan O'Toole So here it is, let's get straight to it He has a new book out It's called We Don't Know Ourselves It's brilliant, I've been reading it Um, I can guarantee you, you'll really, really enjoy it and that's where I guess we kicked off our chat. So, Fintan, listen, I'm reading this book here. It's by a fella. It's a very good author. I like him. I think he's a bit of a starter. Um, he's grown on me. And um, he's written a book called We Don't Know Ourselves. And his name is uh, Fintan O'Toole. And that's, of course, yourself. It's very good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I enjoy all your writing, as much of it as I can consume, anyway. Um, but, Fintan, it's, tell us about just That's a jumping off point for us first. Tell us about that first it's not a an autobiography and it's not a history of Ireland so what is it
1: yeah so like my, my life is just isn't interesting enough for a memoir you know? <laughs> like you know I've, I've spent most of my adult life writing you know and that's not that exciting and apart from my affair with Jackie Kennedy you know and my conquest of Everest I really don't have an awful lot to report on so you know um, but 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 I I have been writing about Ireland for a very long time <laughs> and thinking about the place, and of course, living in it, you know. And, and, and um, it struck me that something extraordinary has happened over the course of my lifetime, you know, which is this, this place, which was a hell of a backwater. And it really was, you know, the more you think about Ireland in the 1950s, you know, the grimmer it is, uh, has been completely transformed into one of the most globalized economies in the world. And Ireland's an interesting place to write about because it's a sort of microcosm, you know, it's, it's so small and so intimate that, uh, uh, you know, of course there's nothing unique, nothing exceptional, but you can see things in Ireland in a, in a very kind of granular detailed way. Um, so I just thought there's a thing that nobody's really done, which is to try to write the story of the modernization of Ireland for want of a better term. Uh, since nineteen fifty eight um, to write it as a story and 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 to write it in a way which kind of gets the sense of how your own individual life mm. overlaps with the big things you know? yes so um, in other
0: words there are certain events there are certain events in your life for taking it from your birth and you are talking about for example what was going on in Ireland at the time you were born what was going on in Ireland after your parents, let's say, moved to Monkstown and then back to uh, Crumlin and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, in other words, your wife, your life is sort of interweaved with um, historical events that happen in Ireland. So, yeah, in a way, it's like a more intellectual version of Forrest Gump. So <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, well, it could it's, be called Fintan
1: Gump. Very oh, Forrest Gump. Very Forrest Gump. I was running out on, uh, on Sunday and I was thinking about Forrest Gump. So, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Vincent Gump Fint. or Zal Zaleg O'Toole maybe it might be. Forrest <laughs> O'Toole. Forest O'Toole. Forest yeah. Film. Zaleg
0: is the Woody Allen uh, film where yeah. wo- where Woody Allen, of course, was 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 placed himself in all these situations in history. So you hear him yeah. see him in the background at the at, at Hitler and everything, uh yeah, in, yeah, in Nuremberg yeah. and all this sort of stuff. It's yeah. gas, yeah. Yeah. You know, the
1: thing that struck me, Mario, is that everybody in Ireland could do this. Like so it's it's the well, this thing about a small society, right? So so every one of us, you know, we're you know we just have moments at which the big history is somehow part of our own lives you know it's not out there it's it's sort of in here you know and and um so it just happened i was born in 58 you know and and, and 58 was the revolutionary year in a way right so it was the year in which things were so bad right the, the place was really People were asking existential questions like, will there be anybody left in Ireland <laughs> by the mm. year 2000? You know, the, the mass emigration was just such a huge thing that they were forced. Uh, they, I mean, um, well, Sean Lamass, who was about to become Taoiseach, he wasn't yet. Edmund Evelier was still Taoiseach. But Lamass, w- w- you know, would, would, would replace him the following year. He was Minister for Industry and Commerce. But particularly Ken Whittaker, you know, who had become Secretary of the Department of Finance by the age of 30, you know, incredible man. And Whittaker had the kind of guts, really, to say, uh, with cover from the mass, look, we have to be honest with people. We have to say this thing is going down the tubes. If we don't change radically, then the whole project of Irish independence is probably, you know, the game is up. And you know, people know what that meant, and it meant opening up to uh, global capital, you know, multinational companies, investments, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, it 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 changed everything. So it, it sounds like okay, this is a you know abstract economic decision, but of course, it changes the way people live. You know, it, it, it changes. You know, Ireland was still a rural society. It it becomes an urban one. It was agricultural. You know, beef was the main export. You know, and and now it's Viagra, whatever. You know, I, I, you know, it, it, the, the whole nature of how you live ch- changes over that period. And this has happened to people around the world in all, all sorts of different ways. You know, but it happened very quickly here and in a in a very intimate sort of way. I think. And and so it, I just thought that story mm. is worth trying to 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 tell bit by bit. And to try to tell it, I think that the interesting way about trying to tell it this way, or that makes it different from a historian, right, is that you try to say, without the benefit of hindsight, what did this feel like at the time? Because, of course, nobody yes. knows but, at the time how things are going to turn out. It's the one problem with history. Like, I love, I love historians. I love his, reading history. It's fantastic. But it's By definition, it's written with hindsight, right? You know, you've got the archives and you can say, ah, the, these idiots didn't realise that. You know, there was this other big thing going to happen. Yes. So trying to get back to uh, as if you were reading a novel where you don't know and the characters don't really know quite how this thing is going to work out. This big experiment that Ireland was embarking on, you know, the, the roller coaster ride, and, and just to try to give people a feeling for what that might be like
0: yeah in the book there are there are little kind of vignettes as well where um not to you know extrapolate too much from the Forrest Gump analogy but like for example there's a little bit where isn't it true that you got a little job in Dunn stores and (laughs) uh, and that there's a there's a little moment tell us the story about Ben Dunn this is this is and this kind of of course is emblematic of what was happening in Ireland in a bigger way
1: you know, it was just so, I, I, I worked a summer job. A lot of kids would get a job, summer job in, 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 in stores, you know, and uh, it was 15 pence an hour, I remember, which even at the time was shockingly bad. It was terrible. <laughs> but, you know, we were a kid. You were delighted to have any kind of work. I was, I was 13, 14, you know. And, and um, uh, you know, you were packing shelves and moving stuff around. Or, but, one, I was instructed to come in on a Saturday at one point and spend the entire day... So I don't know if people know Dunn's stores in Georgia Street in Dublin. And across the street, maybe 100 yards up on the other side of the street, was a place called Cassidy's, which was a big uh, department store as well. And Dunn's had bought it over. And the the, the the job was to accompany young Ben Dunn of um, later, uh, thanks a million, big fella, <laughs> Charlie Hawley fame, yeah. Um, m- myself and him had to take all these racks of dresses. You know, we're on these kind of wheeled racks.
0: Wheeled what age out would he have been?
1: So I suppose he must have been in his very early twenties. You know, yeah. And, and I was fourteen, right? So, you know, he was a big gruff fella. You know, and and um, and obviously he was vastly superior to me in the in the pecking order. But it struck me there was something really weird about this, right? Like they could have got a van. You know, <laughs> like it, you know, it would have taken. I don't know half an hour. You know, load the stuff on a van, drive it down into the back of the other done Stores, loaded in the back, right? But no, every single thing had to be wheeled, and it meant you had to stop the traffic every time, right, to cross this really busy George Street. Myself and Ben Dunn. and I'd love to say we had profound conversations about the nature of life going on, but because we didn't. <laughs> but 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 e- e- even as a kid, it struck me: there's something very weird here about why is his father making him do this with a skinny you know nobody kid from Crumlin like what, what why his father was one of the richest men in Ireland at the time you know yeah. and it was this sort of obsessive thing about the kids you know like Ben Dunn I think he was taken out of school early like they weren't allowed to get university education they weren't allowed to get above themselves you know it was a very Irish thing of that time you know that 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 somehow humiliation had to be part of your your development you know yeah. and I think this then so how does this feed into Irish history because Ben Dunn, you know y- y- years later, you have this kind of weird moment in a hotel in Florida right where Ben Dunn is shoving half the product of the gross national product of Colombia up his nose, and you know the whole thing he gets arrested and this whole thing kind of starts unraveling, and then out of this the story about you know, where did Charlie Hockey get his money?
0: Yes. <laughs> well,
1: Ben Dunn gave him a lot of it, you know, and this starts coming out of this sort of weird scandal. But what, why did Ben Dunn want to give Charlie Hockey so much money? You know, and in a way, it was like to show that he, was, he wasn't humiliated, he wasn't a little boy. He, he, yes. he, he wasn't the guy who was bullied by his father. You know, he was, he was the big man. Oh, now could, like nearly everything else in our society, it
0: comes down to lack of daddy love, doesn't it? Uh,
1: exactly. <laughs> lack but, but of- you, you, know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like these tiny little moments in your own life that sort of have these weird echoes later yes. on in the way Irish society and Irish politics unravels, you know.
0: Yes. I, I think you're kind of, your public image anyway, I know I know you're probably not as comfortable talking about your public image because you, you know, you see, you you work and you write and uh, ostensibly you probably like to, in a, in a way, stay in the background and let your work do the talking. But, um, you know, you are comfortable in front of a uh, microphone and you are comfortable because you're used to speaking and you are comfortable in front of a camera uh, and all that stuff. But so... Personally, like, what were you like when you were a child? Because people are used to your public image now being, you know, you're bespectacled, you're very, very intelligent. If you don't mind me saying, you're bright. You know, you're in, you're a public intellectual, and that's a kind of a funny. That's a funny. I don't know. It's a funny thing to wear, isn't it? That that that, that, that yes. moniker being a public intellectual. It's yeah. a it's a field, I suppose, a, a group of people who spend a lot of their time and get paid. To talk about the state we're in at the moment, and they think about it, and you're one of those people, and and you, and you write about it, and you write very well about it. So, but what were you like as a child? You weren't a public intellectual as a child. I, were you? Were you bookish? That. Were you quiet? Did you use your um, brains to bully people? Um, did you do people's <laughs> homework for them and and say I'll fucking burst you if you don't give me the you your lunch now and I'll do your fucking Sophocles for you or your whatever you know. So, what? Well.
1: well so when I was a kid I was very I was bookish yeah so my 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 mother used to take us to the public library um you know I I still have enormous grow for the public library you know I mean what what fantastic institutions you know when you think about it like and one of my earliest memories as a kid is holding the Bar of the pram. There must have been a younger kid in the pram, you know. I'm <laughs> walking down to Thomas Street, which was a fair bit of a walk. I suppose it must have been two and a half miles or so from from Crumlin down, you know. To, but that was the nearest library. I'm uh, walking down to get the books, you know. And and I do remember then they opened the library in Telford's Barn. And I do have a vivid memory of, of going in to ask the lady if I could join the adult library because I'd read all the books in the children's library.
0: So, yeah, you know,
1: books, obviously, were a were big part of it. But
0: yeah. I was a very shy kid because... Did you get I called a SWAT them, in class? Were you were you known as a SWAT or were you popular?
1: Uh, I, I think I was probably known as a bit of a SWAT, but I, I, I was also... Um, I wasn't bullied, now to be honest, you know, so I was okay, probably, you know, but I I did have a very bad stammer um, and I developed it, I think because, and this, you know, this might sound weird to younger people, but I was left-handed and there was still a superstition. I mean, it was so, like, if you were left-handed, you were beaten into using your right hand, you know. Well, that's right, I mean, sinister
0: means left and sinister is the and, left and, 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 and by the way, left. oh, two-hill, two-hill in yeah. Irish means sinister, left-handed. <laughs> so <laughs> so there must be something kind of
1: genetic. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, okay, oh. absolutely. Two-hill means left-handed and sinister, mm-hmm. all that stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was still, I remember being beaten in class for this, you know, and so I had to use my right hand and it is, I don't think they fully understand it, but it is a known phenomenon, right, that kids who were right-handed or, or who were left-handed were forced to be right-handed developed stammers and it, it's not entirely clear what was going on in the brain or what it did some, something but anyway I developed a very bad stammer uh, you know in I suppose I was about eight or nine um and that does funny things to you you know it it um I mean you talked about how I'm comfortable in front of a camera and you know that but Jesus the worst you know the, the nightmare of having to hear your own voice or having to speak in public you know read stuff out class or all that you know it's just because anybody who has a stammer will tell you that the the problem isn't stammering it's it's anticipating you know so (laughs) you know you you develop this thing of you look at a page and you look at all the w's and the O's, and you know god i can't do those you know uh and so I suppose I had this kind of shyness or, or that difficulty with that. The odd thing is um, having a summer is very good for your vocabulary because you you develop a thing of, of, again, just anticipation if you're speaking, you know, and you start thinking about, oh, shit, I can't say that word. I need another word, you know, and I need to be able to think of it really fast, so I fool my brain into using it before ah. I have time to think about. So it. So you, you know, became a <laughs>
0: you became a you become a kind of a human tesserus.
1: You do, you do, you know, um, and but also it makes reading silent reading even more pleasurable. Like it's a great mm. thing anyway, you know. But the business of reading aloud in your head because you don't
0: stammer in your head, you know. Mm. Um,
1: it's it's a strange, strange thing, you know. And and
0: and sorry, are you right-handed now, Fintan?
1: I'm right-handed now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Whatever they did
1: worked, you know, or forced me to, Jesus.
0: To, 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 to do it. They beat the conformity uh, into it. Archbishop McQuaid actually got you in the end.
1: Uh, absolutely. But I, I, often, I often wonder, you know, about what I, what I, I mean, it was really painful as a kid. You know, I, I used to, I, you know, I felt very... You know, nervous, but and you know, and but I often wonder now, would I, would I have changed this? You know, and this sounds—I don't mean like it's a really good idea to torture kids and make them do stuff and develop cyber. I don't mean that at all. But uh, it's—it was so much part of my personality and part of the way my own kind of mind worked and developed that I, I find it hard to imagine myself without that. You know, if that mm. if that hadn't happened, um, so you know, but it it didn't stop me being um, an excitable kid, and it, it, you know, mm. I, I,
0: just, I, I loved I what mean, you said about the. I loved what you said about the the stillness of reading, and that you don't stammer I mean, when you are reading silently. It's yeah. a nice image. I I I, yeah. I wonder though. Sorry, I am going to pursue an area here which I didn't even think I, I didn't even think I'd go down, but again, it's to do with you maybe and who you are rather than what you do and that is that how much of your own emotion comes into things like this for example let me go backwards would would you think that you are an emotional person or that you used to be more emotional and that reason can somehow defeat emotion or reason because you deal in reason this is your life reason is your life reason is your life logic reason polemics balance weighing up arguments against each other analogy metaphor comparison Seeing how your ideas distill over time, how they how they mature, if if they do, and do you find that your emotion comes into it at all?
1: Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a absolutely fascinating area to to explore, uh, and I think you're you're you put your finger on something, you know, which for me is very important, right? Which is that I, I don't really think of myself as an intellectual in the sense that you know, I I, I do a lot of teaching at third level, and I, I know people who are pure intellectuals, right, and who I admire enormously, you know. And I'm not like them because I'm very intuitive and very emotional. <laughs> I, If I don't care about something, if it doesn't make me feel something, I, I can't write about it or, I, you know, I just, I don't have the interest. I don't, I'm not interested in things in that really fully abstract sense, you know. Um, so, you know, what got me writing stuff was, was very much, uh, you know, anger, <laughs> really, you know the sense of injustice um you, you, you know i think if you do the sort of stuff that i do um which is polemical really you know you're you're not just i'm not just kind of trying to say you know here's an issue that i want to analyze of course that's 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 the job but I, i'm trying to persuade you of something right i'm actually trying to influence you you know and that's an awful arrogant Thing to be doing but that it's the nature of the job like if you're not trying to persuade somebody of something like why why are you in this business at all you I know mean, what's the point point. Um, and in order to persuade somebody of something I think you have to feel it right and then the discipline comes in of, of okay well you know just telling you how I feel why, why the hell would you be interested in how I feel you're not interested in how I feel you know you not you're not my best friend you know <laughs> you're not married to me you're're you're, you're a reader but my job is to then translate my feelings into into rationality, as you say, into an argument, into evidence, into a, a way of looking at a problem or look at, looking at an issue. Um, but I, I have no interest in doing that in the abstract, you know. Mm. Um, uh, so I, I think you're absolutely right about this—that that emotion. <sighs> Like, I, I, I'm not an artist, right? I, I, I really know that. I know people who are artists. I know I have some really close friends who are great novelists and things like that, you know, and, and, and they, they work differently. You know, they work out of pure emotion in a way and a feeling and instinct. Um, and I'm not as good as that. I, I can't do, do that fully. But anybody who really writes for a living, you, you have to have some element of that, right? You, you have to start with, what do I feel? You know, and I, I can't, I can't dissociate what I feel about something with what I think about it. I start with what I feel about it, and then I try to analyze that and say, why do I feel that? Right. You know, is it is it stupid? Is it wrong? Or if it's right, why is it right? And, and what's the evidence for it? And how, how could you make an argument that somebody might find interesting yeah. and hopefully persuasive on the basis of that? But if you don't feel it, like yeah. it's just going to become.
0: I I get it. Uh, You gave yourself away, though, in a sense, during that, because you did say something about being an artist and stuff. And and I think you kind of, you let let a cat out of the bag because I've said to Patrick a good few times over the last couple of years, you're pretty much one of the only writers I would read who can actually, I can actually turn one of your columns into a political, into a sketch. (laughs) And that's because you try... In, in some of your columns, and this is where I bring the artist thing in, that there is a bit of an artist there. You do pour yourself into it. You pour a beginning, a middle, an end into it. You pour a lot of visual pictures into it. And you pour a lot of what, what you might call um, uh, play acting into it, theatre. There's a lot of theatre in your pieces. And that theatre can easily be transposed by someone like me into a satirical sketch. And I've often turned one of your what I call it I call it flipping. I've often turned one of your uh, columns upside down and made it a sketch, pretty much a sketch that you probably wouldn't recognise if you heard it. But I actually got it from you, and I think that's what what how you flip things. You flip something. That's absolutely
1: fascinating. That's really fascinating. And I, you know, I'm, I'm 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 really thrilled to hear you say that. You know, um, you, you know, like I suppose what what anybody who's functioning in public and trying to. Perform in some way, right? Whether it's writing or, or doing what you do, you know, the, the the mechanisms are ancient, aren't they? They're you know they're primitive. They're you know, it still goes back to people sitting around the fire and saying, "Wait, let I tell you," you know, and and spinning a story, t- t- telling is. a story,
0: you know. And also and, in your and, case, in your case as well, it's spinning a story in a, in a in a short form. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's basically yeah. saying to somebody, "Hey, you're on a train. You've only got four minutes. Have a look at this."
1: Yeah, I. Uh, uh, that's absolutely right. So, so you know, students and things often ask me about you know how do you what, what's the big thing you're trying to do when you're writing or something? <laughs> you're, you're you're trying to get somebody to read to the end.
0: That's yeah. that's
1: you know that's ninety percent of the task, right? Yeah. Because exactly as you say, I mean, people are busy, and, and as time goes on, of course, they get they more and more stimulation, more and more alternatives. I mean, when I started writing for the Irish Times in 1988, which now seems ancient history. A lot of people would buy the paper and read the paper cover to cover, right? You know, you know, and that's no longer the case, right? So, no. you know, you're reading online. You've got you know million distractions. So, the ultimate compliment, and but also your your ultimate task, right? Is 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 uh, stick with it. You know, this is going to take you five minutes, six minutes, maybe to read the thing. You know, will will you give me that six minutes of your time? Exactly. Um, and, and even if, if at the end of that you feel that's the biggest load of rubbish I ever read, it really makes my blood boil. Well, you, at least you got to the end. You
0: know. <laughs> what about this? What about the process? I'm intrigued about this process because you, I doubt. Well, I've never seen you talk about process before, and I don't mean the process of writing. I actually meant something more mundane than that. What happens between the moment that you're walking down the corridor? Uh, or you're looking into the middle distance or you're listening to a piece of music and you think of an idea for a piece and the time that that piece gets um, done. Now, I'm looking for the actual mundane uh, stuff here. So do you think of an idea and then you have a Thursday, what? You go in on a Monday morning or let's say on a Norman pre COVID, you go in on a Monday morning, do you pitch to a woman or a man? Do you pitch your idea to an editor? Does the idea look does the editor look at you with their, their pen in their mouth and go, Yeah, I like number two. I don't like number one. <laughs> nah, and the shinners won't like that. You're constantly down on the shinners. Or else you're constantly Yeah, 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 yeah. Fin you know, I mean you you you're you're all green again, Finton. You're doing it again. Or um, leave him alone, leave Pascal Donahue alone. Or you I mean, what how does it work? Do you pitch them three ideas and they take one? So,
1: I, I mean, I've, I've had this very privileged existence, really, as I said, I, I joined the Irish Times in 1988, you know, and over all of that time, I think it's almost never happened There's once or twice, maybe just for legal reasons, when I might have stepped over a legal boundary and a lawyer stepped in. But editorially, I've never been told what to write. And, and uh, you know, so I don't have to do the business of saying, look, I think I might write about this or that or hmm. the other one, which would you prefer? Um there's a sort of uh, I suppose a trust there, which is a sense that like there might be I mean, I'll say you never wrote about this, you never wrote about that, you never wrote about that, but I couldn't write a good column about it. You know <laughs> I, I, so, so it has to be something that you can write something specific about which you think is good, not, not the fact that you know that, that, that this it might not be the single most important thing happening that day or whatever else. You have to have something to say about it, which is, which is at least distinctive. And you also have to have a way of writing that. You have to have a thing in your head of the, and this is a way I could tell the story. Um, so do people so make suggestions to I, you, Fenton? So, so sometimes, uh, I mean, absolutely, you know, sometimes the editor would say to me, look, we, we'd really love to have a piece on Saturday about this, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't have anything about that. And and usually, you know, I, I sort of welcome that because it's, it's, sometimes you're thinking, what the hell am I going to write about, you know, or, uh, uh, um, or, or, or actually not so much that. as, And I'm sure you find it exactly the same thing, my experience, which you were saying about, you know, you can vote four or five ideas. The problem is not so much coming up with ideas, because there's lots of stuff going on as you can you can reflect on. It's it's what's the right thing to do right now, mm. you know, and which one am I going to do and, and, and right. how are you going to go about it? So sometimes absolutely you know, an editor will say to me, Look, we'd really we'd really love to you to write about this, and I'd say, look, I just can't I don't have anything mm. or I've I've written about that so often yeah. that I am not new to say, it'll just be a boring mm. piece. Uh, but, but of course, like you're, you're working, you're trying to be as, you know, as, as professional as possible, as accommodating as possible. And sometimes of course you do end up just writing something because people really need it or whatever, you know, that's fine. But the, the typical process for me is, you know, I, I might go out for a run on a Sunday morning um, Where? and I'm, well, if I'm in County Clare, I run out to Blackhead, which is just, bloody How gorgeous, long? you know, um, well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm feeling good, it's a 10 mile run. 10 right? so miles. Kind of five, mile, five miles out and five miles back. <laughs> and An you're over 60. I know, there's a funny thing about exercise. Um, your, your mind, maybe because your body's in pain, your mind is sort of freed up a bit, you know, <laughs> stuff floats in. It's, and it's, I, so, I it's subconscious. You it's subconscious. Similar.
0: It's that, th- subconscious it's that thing. There's another place it yeah. happens as well. I love talking about this subject. We'll get back to it in a second. And you'll know what I'm talking about. Often you know that thing of you know that thing, let's say you've done okay, I'll only speak for myself. When I've whenever I've come up with what I regarded as a good idea, when a lot of the times I've come up with a good idea, the idea has come to me first thing in the morning before I am yeah. fully awake. It's in that dead yeah. of night. Yeah. Just yeah. it's it's at the dead of night just after the, the darkest hour and just before the thing. When when it cannot be stiller. It cannot be quieter. It's just you and the world. There's nobody, even your wife, who might be in bed with you. She's not there. Yeah. She's she's alien to you. Yeah. She's in the land of Nod. You're on your own. You're wide awake, yeah. but you're not fully awake. You're not in the land of the living yet, but there, you're in this strange netherworld where ideas are just coming left, right and center. It's like as if your inbox has yeah. been emptied from the night before and suddenly all this stuff is rushing in and sometimes... A good idea happens and you call it when you go to work, you go, I, ca- I came up with this one in my sleep. Well, actually, you didn't. You were actually awake. But anyway, I, that's that's one way. But it's emptying your brain. It's part of it is your brain being empty.
1: It's it, I, I think you put that superbly well, you know, and, and I was just reading um, Paul Muldoon's um, fantastic book with McCartney, books, yeah. Paul McCartney, you know, the lyrics, you know, and he talks a lot about this, you know, about that same process. and. Um, it, it, it's a fascinating thing, and I, I, I don't know if it's fully understood, you know. But if you're if you're trying too hard for something, it it, it just won't come, you know. It's just, you're, you're forcing it sometimes. And then I, I often find, um, particularly when writing something longer, like you're working on a book, and you have a real problem with a chapter or something, you just can't get the thing going, you know. Um, and and you leave it overnight, and you go out for a walk or a run or something in the morning. And it suddenly takes shape. It just, you know, the the shape appears to you mm. in your head. And the same thing happens with with, with writing columns. You know that, that as I said that the, the issue is not the subject. It's what's my opening. You know how how, how could I how can I get this going? <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean this is a very stupid analogy, but because I don't swim much, you know, very bad swimmer. But I I always think then every piece of work is like being a swimmer where you have to you have to have the kickoff, you have to have the dive. You have to have then, you reach the end of the pool and you have to have a turn yeah. where you kick again, you know, and, and there's a rhythm to a piece, right? If it's an 800 word, maybe you have to have two turns. If it's a 4,000 word, you have to have six or seven or eight. You know, if it's a book, <laughs> you have to have 50 of them. But you, you, you know what I mean? I'm sure it's the same for you when you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're writing a sketch, you know, that there's a kind of natural rhythm to the thing. But if you don't get the initial... Energy and kickoff and and that if that doesn't take you enough of the distance into the thing,
0: for me it's all about just jumping off the the thing. So for example, yeah. I, I yeah. generally yeah. if I have an idea for a comic sketch, it'll need one strong idea at the start, and that for me is usually enough. Um, and and so. For example, I'll give you an idea of an example that I thought went well. And so I shouldn't be talking about myself now, but I'll just just veer, no, sure veer, veer just himself. briefly into this. Um, mm-hmm. It was that I, I'm constantly thinking, obviously, about, let's say, politics and let's say the relationship uh, between, let's say, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and this unusual, unhappy, uncomfortable marriage that now exists between the two of them. And of course, there's great father father to be had in in. in What's happening to the various personalities and even the character of the parties as they have come together? And one idea I th- thought of recently that I thought of was quite nice was the idea that Pascal, it was kind of um, a mirror of COVID, except it wasn't. It was with Pascal Donahue who had seemed to have a bit of a cold, but it wasn't. He wasn't sick. He had what the doctor characterized as sphenofallitis. And this was a virus <laughs> he had caught from too much exposure to this. Nasty, nasty germ that he has become too close to, called Finnigal, <laughs> and Pascal Dunne, who, who, as you know, is the epitome of Finnigal. Uh, you know Keynesian or monetarism economics and all that sort of like very nice and very very good and he's the opposite of Fianna Fáil and he isn't you know he's the opposite of chicken and chips and he's the opposite of Albert Reynolds and <laughs> he's the opposite of Sean O'Doherty and all those phone tapping scandals he is the essence of propriety and opprobrium or uh, you know b- being good and all that sort of stuff but suddenly he was a uh, Suddenly he was changing and he was there. We're on the one road, maybe the wrong road. Going, shit. So basically Leo Leo worked out that, shit, he's got a case of Fianna Fáil-itis. So they, they chased him, right? and they went, he, he ran out of the room and they went, chase him. We've got to follow him. Before they knew it, he was over in Buswell's hotel with a bunch of developers making a load of deals. They cornered them in the hotel and then they run him down into the car park. And in the car park, he has a bag full, a sack full of money, <laughs> and, they, and they call the paramedics and they get him in, and they go, and that's the end. Woo, 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 woo. So basically, my only idea was Pascal catches Fiannafall germ. That was the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. but I, I have to get, I'll have to tr- try and come to the 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 next part where we do all those turns, Vinton. What I wanted to ask you, yeah, go on.
1: Before long, he'll have he'll 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 he'll, he'll have his own private island and a helicopter. See, and- If I had
0: more than three minutes, I would have gone all that sort of... It would have gone in all those areas. But listen, so you've written... You you, you said to me a minute ago, you talked about anger and social justice, sense of social justice. Hmm. And, you know, I've read all sorts of columns that you've done. Anything from David Bowie and the importance of theatre to Irish people aren't stoic at all. And we don't even know the meaning of the word stoicism to... We should take the Apple 13 billion to Brexit, to Donald Trump. What, I have a question for you. What, though, makes you most angry? What inflames you the most? You don't even, if if you tell me it's a subject, that's fine. Or maybe it's just a thing that gets you most angry. What would it be?
1: The thing that gets me most angry is um contempt for so-called ordinary people you know <sighs> like who the fuck do these people think they are the, 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 you know this this the way in which the lives of ordinary people can be just you know dismissed and 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 you know and it, it's it's like like yourself i mean you know i, you know, I grew up very ordinary families. So there's no such thing as ordinary people, right? You know, people are astonishing, you know, and families are incredible, communities are amazing. You know, the, the way, we, the, like, I have a huge optimism about human beings, you know, and the the, the idea that one person's life is less valuable, less interesting, of, of less uh, concern than somebody else's life, you know, it's that, and I I saw this as a kid, you know. So, you know, I very working class community, you know, in 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 Crumlin, and and a lot of poverty, you know. We, we were pretty poor. Like my, my dad was a bus conductor, you know, and my mother then kind of got a job as a as a cleaner in the Irish Press, you know. But we were we were okay. My parents had jobs, and 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 you know, and all that. But there were a lot of kids who were just really really poor, and I knew from very early on that I was smart. And I also knew that there were four or five kids in my class who were smarter than I was. And I was the only one of those kids who, you know, ever went to a university or ever got the kind of job that I I have, you know.
0: Why do you Uh, say that? And what did they do?
1: You know, uh, some of them uh, got very good jobs, which I have... Huge admiration for you know, in 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 doing manual things or learning manual skills, and that was absolutely fantastic, you know. The, but but a, a significant number of kids that I would have known and that my younger brothers would have known ended up on heroin or ended up you know in prison or you know ended up with car crashes of lives. Um, that that you know you can say well it's their own fault, but yeah, you know there were circumstances around all of those kinds of things. And I, I suppose that, I mean, if there was one thing I could do, right. If, you know, if you say you're the Taoiseach and you could do something, you know, I would concentrate on children, you know, the, like the, the more we know about what happens early in life, you know, and, and, and we know an awful lot about it now, you know, the, the more d- it determines your life chances, you know, and even the very early stuff, like the first 18 months you know, of, of the way a kid is treated, the way a kid learns to react to the world. Um, and, and we know there's fantastic things can be done. Like there's great interventions that can be done for, 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 for kids who don't have these privileges naturally. They really work. You know, th- th- we can transform people's lives by, by investing in early childhood. We can save ourselves a fortune as a society. That shouldn't be the main consideration. But, you know, studies would suggest that it's about seven or eight to one, right? So if you spend a euro in early childhood, you save yourself. At least about 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 seven euro later on, right in uh, you know the justice system in healthcare, uh, but also that person is likely to pay more tax, be more productive. I mean all that sort of stuff, right? So even if you just look at it economically, it's true. But but more than that, it's just about kind of valuing every kid, you know. And we went on about nineteen sixteen, you know. Um, I was really interested in nineteen nineteen. Nineteen nineteen was the first doll the First ever moment where you had a democratically elected assembly on the islands of Ireland, right? That actually, you know, there were problems with it, but but broadly speaking, represented the majority of the Irish people. And the first thing it did, well, it declared Irish independence, and then it adopted, I think, all the democratic program. And the first line of that, I think, well, one of the first lines of it is: "It shall be the first duty of the republic, uh, the first duty of the republic rather, shall be towards the children. No child will be hungry." No child will lack shelter, no child will lack education, no child will lack healthcare. you know. And that was incredibly ra- radical in 1919, you know, thinking about what's a good society look like? What does a republic look like? You know? um, and I, I think, you know, if we went back to that as a as a core principle, you know, and, and you think we still have children homeless, we still have children who are hungry. Children's healthcare, like you look at the stuff where, where, where you know, kids in pain with scoliosis have to go on television, mm. you know, and, and their parents have to kind of give up their privacy and, and, and everything else, you know, to, to desperately try to get care, you know, for really basic stuff. You know, none, none of this is necessary. You know, none of this is inevitable. It's about the way the choices that we've made as a society are indeed not made. We've often drifted into an awful lot of this kind of stuff. And that does make me mm. angry, you know. And, and um, I, I think it should make the rest of us very angry. We get very annoyed about human rights issues, quite rightly. But the biggest human rights issue is child poverty. You know, that's the, if there's a single thing you can say that's going to really affect somebody's life, you know, through no fault of their own mm. whatsoever, you know, you can't blame a kid for, for, for being poor. Uh, and we know we could do a lot, of, a lot about this, you know. But we could feed kids in schools. Most, most countries. You know, you make sure that every kid is properly fed because they get they get they get fed at school. You know, we can have free primary education. We don't even have free primary education. It's in the constitution, but yet we've got voluntary contributions and all the rest of that bullshit. You know, we really could concentrate on on doing some of these things. I think, and I think then it would make the rest of us feel prouder of the country. You know, and feel actually that you know this place can really be uh, the place that we want it to be.
0: And that's it from part one of the Fintan O'Toole interview um, with myself. Part two is next week. And in it, uh, among many, many, many other things, um, Fintan discusses why he can never vote for Sinn Féin, his views on patriotism in general, and why Ireland is, in his view, so culturally rich. Plus, there's all the celebrity callers who'll call in to challenge, eviscerate, or just mess around with Fintan O'Toole. Again, thanks to you, thanks to my supporters uh, in Currys for their ongoing support. Um, get in touch about that competition. Fantastic Currys, a uh, 58-inch uh, television uh, to be won. See the show notes um, below the episode. You can contact me directly, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all. I get back to them all. Stay in touch. See you same time, same place for Finton Episode 2 next week.